Welcome to Satellites and folks who are watching online. Glad that you're here with us uh, that way, but thankful for you guys here this morning. We are uh, in Romans chapter 12. Uh, the passage is there on page 31 in your devotional guide. And as I was preparing uh, to be in these verses, verses 9 through 16, you know, maybe you don't, but you can imagine, anytime you preach or teach or whatever, you want to be super impressive, um, and you want to have some great illustration, some amazing thing that people are talking about for decades, really. And as I was preparing for this and reading through the passage and doing the study myself, um, it just so struck me that there's really not a lot to add these words are so rich. I am going to add, but I'm not going to add a lot. We're really going to be in his word. And, 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 and just so I don't, I don't want to rush. We're going to just slowly walk through this passage. Because what I want is the words of Paul breathed through him by God and the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And for some of us this morning, we need these words to uh, encourage us. And for some, we need these words to convict us. And for some, we need a challenge. And for some, uh, we need to see the beauty of God in these words, that this is his way, what he created us for, what he made us for. So if you indulge me and put your palms up just to receive the work of the Spirit, just a physical way of saying, I want to receive this morning what you have for me, God. And Lord, we do. We just want to receive what you would have for us. And God, one of the things I love about you is that you can speak to us corporately where we all hear the same thing. But in the midst of that corporate communication, you speak personally and individually to us. And so, Lord, I know my words are limited, but your spirit is unlimited. And you want to take the words, the very words of God contained in the scripture, and you want to bring them to life for us. And you want to move them from our head, from our ears, into our heart, and out into the way that we live. And so I pray that for us this morning. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. So as we know, Paul in Romans 12, he's turned this corner and he's saying to this little church and he's saying to us by God's providence, he's saying, I've told you what the gospel is. I've, I've told you that you can receive this gospel good news of Jesus, and now I want you to live this good news. I don't want you to just have faith. I want you to live your faith. And so he's getting super practical, and he starts in verse 9, and I, I would say this is almost the thesis statement of the next few verses and next section. He says this, love must be sincere. You see, in the church, there's a temptation to just make love kind of a saccharine niceness. To put on a look of love, but not really change what's stirring internally in us, right? The language there is really love must be without hypocrisy. 
Christian love is an interesting thing. It has an origin, and it's not from us, and that's good news, right? Uh, John says in 1 John, we love, we're capable of love. We're capable of a different kind of love, I think he's saying, because he, God, first loved us. Because God himself is love and he lives in us. Jesus says this really profound thing, might be one of my favorite passages of scripture in John chapter 15. And Jesus says, I mean literally if you just spent a month looking at this verse every day for a month and letting it go deep into you. Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. As God has loved Jesus, so Jesus has loved you. Is there any space for self-pity? Is there any space for insecurity? Is there any space for fear? When Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And Jesus then in other places, and even in that section, he says, so love one another, right? As I have loved you, love others. Luke chapter 6. Guess what? Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love them. I want you to bless them. And where does that begin? It begins with the love of Christ. And I do believe that there is no way to have sincere love apart from what the gospel truth tells us, which is this. One of the greatest things about the Christian faith is that we get to live, and this really is good news, we get to live in every day, every moment, repentance. Every day, every moment, dependence. We get to every day, every moment, we can say, God, you know, forgive me, I do not love this person. Would you help me? I've gotten to where, I think I stole this concept from a podcast I was listening to. I don't think I came up with it on my own, but surely I did not. Um, But this, I think somebody I was listening to gave me this image of when, you know, when you've got something, a person maybe you're praying about, or, or maybe it's that person that is just so hard to love. So I've been practicing this where The image is this, where I take that person in my mind, I just imagine this, and I say to the Lord, God, would you carry this person? Would you hold them? And then I imagine handing them to God, and then I sit with the image of God holding them. Because what I've found for me is sometimes when I try to pray for people who are difficult for me, it doesn't really lead to a good place. (laughs) My prayer kind of becomes more just a rant. And my heart and my mind get fixated on God fixing. But when I can take this image of God, would you hold this person? Would you hold this relationship? And then I just leave it there. And then I sit, because sometimes prayer isn't a lot of words. It's just sitting with, Lord, you hold this relationship. 
you hold this person who is difficult to me. They may not be difficult to anybody else, right? Love must be sincere, and we need our God to help us. Hate what is evil, he says. Cling to what is good. Tim Keller says we can't love rightly without hating rightly. It's good. That's deep. Got to sit on that for a bit. We can't love rightly without hating rightly. Real love, and, and, and this is, I think he's saying more than this, but the one thing I wanted to capture for myself, for you, real love never enables wrongdoing. It forgives it, but it does not dismiss it or enable it. It is not loving to let someone continue in destructive patterns. It is not loving in your marriage or in your relationships to just give in all the time and never use your voice if it isn't moving your relationship to greater intimacy, right? And a lot of people in relationships, because if they're maybe the relationship, whether it's with a coworker, with a spouse, with a friend, uh, there can be a tendency when that person is dominant, when that person is just strong, when that person is whatever, it's just kind of like, oh, well, okay, it, have your way. But here's what happens. You gave them their way, but you didn't set them up for God's way. And what's, what's the best way for them? Because whether they know it or not, especially if it's your spouse, if, especially if it's a good friend, they're created for intimacy. They're created for relationship. They're not created to dominate. They're not created to get their way every time. So, real love never enables wrongdoing. It forgives doesn't dismiss, doesn't enable. It does the hard work of relationship, which is communication, which is risk, which is using your voice. It doesn't mean, again, I'm not saying that you never submit to the other person. It doesn't mean that you never give up your rights. Absolutely, that's a biblical concept too. But relationships are must, much more complicated and messy than that. And then we got to do the hard work of it, that we want to be all that God wants us to be. And for some of you, that's God wants you to be more courageous. And for others, God wants you to be a little more silent for a while, right? It, that's, that's the hard thing. It's, we can't just one size fits all. We have to be people who hear the voice of God, who helps us. And we help the people that we're in relationship with also move towards what they were made for. That's a whole other thing. But we'll go on. Be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted. Honor one another above yourself. Are you tempted? Are you heading down a path of losing your devotion to some people in your life? Are you flirting, literally or figuratively, with an emotional affair and you're losing the devotion to your spouse? Are you on a path that's leading you away from being devoted to those you have been called to be devoted to? One, to, to? Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. We need that, right? 
patient, long-suffering, persevering in affliction, because usually affliction is a longer path than we want it to be. I want my affliction to be an hour, maybe a week, potentially a month. But after that, we're really pushing it, God. I want relief. Most of the time, I just want relief, right? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and then this is the faithful in prayer. I love that Jesus tells a story about a woman who just kept on bugging a guy, right? As an example of just keep showing up, just keep praying, keep bringing it, keep coming back, keep talking to the Father, keep letting him know. Be persistent, be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. If you have an ability to help a need, not always a want, again, not an enabling, but if you have the ability to help with a need, do it. Practice hospitality. And hospitality is not Martha Stewart. It's not Pinterest, right? I can give you one word for what hospitality is. Welcome. It's welcome. So proud of our women on our women's retreat this year. You know, sometimes I'll hear from women like, I don't want to go. It's going to be all clicky. Or I went and they were all clicky and blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. That's how women talk sometimes and it's very frustrating. Um, <clears throat> um, so there's something, this broken bentness sometimes, and I don't, know, I don't know if men have it too, and it's just more quiet, but it's this like, just this assumption that I'm going to be left out. Just this assumption that we're still in eighth grade. Just this assumption, right? But what I heard this year, and it was, I just was so thrilled. I literally, I heard none of that um, from people. I heard this constantly after retreat from women who came. It was their first retreat. And they were, came by themselves. And so many women said, I was a little nervous, but everyone was so welcoming. People made a space for me. My roommates were so inviting. They, they included me in the things that they were doing. That's hospitality. Hospitality is making a space for people. It's making the outsider an insider. It's opening our home when there's still laundry on the floor. I have had, the Lord has had to remind me of this so many times when it's like, I want to have people over, but I, I do this thing. Well, I don't really have enough room. I don't have enough space. I, I'm not going to have time to cook. Here's what hospitality is. Hey, do you want to come over for dinner? I might just order a pizza. Hey, do you want to come over for dinner? I'm going to run down and I'm going to get tacos from my taco guy down the way, right? Because what I really want isn't to impress you or to entertain you. I want to create a space to be with you. That's hospitality, right? Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We'll talk more about this in coming weeks, but there is this invitation to be people of blessing, to use our words to bless people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. I love this about the invitation of God. It's to, that, that to love is to know another, to crawl into their reality, and whatever their reality is, to join them, not to fix them 
If they're rejoicing, rejoice. If they're mourning, mourn. Sometimes it can be more difficult actually to rejoice, right? Especially if somebody is getting something that you so desperately want. You want to be pregnant. And everyone around you is getting pregnant. You want to be married and everybody around you is getting engaged. You want to get out of debt and you want to get to a financial place and it seems like everyone around you is getting these windfalls of cash. You want a home. You live in L.A. <laughs> Just want a house. And suddenly everybody seems to be getting houses or moving to Texas and getting houses. You want to go on vacation, and your vacation is Long Beach for a day. And your neighbor's vacation is Hawaii for two weeks. But God invites us to rejoice not to, and to bless, right? Not to say these snarky things. I, I overhear conversations, and it just blows my brain. And standing in the lobby sometimes at CA, like it's like, you know, somebody's like, we're going to Hawaii. I wish I was going to Hawaii. <laughs> That's just taking the joy out of it, right? But here's what's beautiful, again, about our God, I think. It, and, and, and as we walk with Jesus, is that the invitation is we can do both simultaneously, right? We can rejoice, and then we can get in our car and cry. And that's beautiful. That's a gift, right? That's a gift. And we can mourn with, when maybe things are really actually going really well for us, we can mourn with somebody who's mourning, and then we can get in our car and put on Justin Timberlake and be like, but yay, good things, I'm rejoicing, and I'm mourning. Because most of life is that, right? It's, it, it's just a simultaneous, there's always things of rejoicing and there's things of mourning. Sometimes it feels like the mourning is the only thing, and sometimes it feels like the rejoicing is the only thing, but most of the time it's a little bit of both, right? Live in harmony with one another. See how all these things build? Live in harmony. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with the people of low position. Do you treat, do you treat the janitor like you treat the CEO? Right? Are you just as kind to your male person as you are to the woman down the street that you want to impress? I don't know. Right? Do not be conceited. Later in Romans, Paul will write this. I love this, verse, Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. If you're going to have a debt, let it be love. Always, always, there's love to be given. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, whatever other commands there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 
If you want to keep the commands of God, and I trust that you do if you belong to him, you want to obey him out of delight, he's saying all of these commands come under and over the heading of love, right? You shall not covet. That's that last command of the Ten Commandments. The first command is to have no other God before our God, Yahweh God, the triune God, the true God. And the last one is do not covet. And I think it's uh, Francis Schaeffer who said, if you, could, um, if, you, you know, if you can keep the first command, have no other God before me, you'll keep all the commands. And then the test is the test of the last command because that's the one we can hide. Do not covet. It's internal. Nobody sees it. But gosh, we, we, we live in it, right? It is Francis Schaeffer for sure who says, love the Lord your God so much that you do not covet because you love him so much. You, you, you want nothing else. You only want what he has for you. And love your neighbor so much that you would not envy because you love them so much, you want for them what is best. You want to rejoice with them. The fulfillment of the law is love. And as you know, if you were able to dive into the devotional this week, this is the way of Jesus. I hope you were able to, if you didn't, go back and do the exercise that invites you to consider how is Jesus these things to you? Because it's true when we look through the scripture and into the historical accounts of Jesus, we know him to be one who has sincerely loved us. Demonstrated in his journey to the cross and his resurrection, right? God, Jesus, has hated what is evil and in doing so he has produced good in us. He put his goodness upon us. He's committed to growing his goodness in us. That's a fruit of the spirit that is growing. Jesus is devoted to you. He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is always pursuing. Je Jesus honored you, honored me above himself. Right? Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. Hebrews chapter 13 or 12 tells us this that Jesus honored us and it's why he was able to go to the cross with the joy set before him you are his joy you are his joy and he is our joy Jesus is our joy Jesus is our hope he is our patient God in the midst of affliction and as we've talked about so many times and we saw in Romans chapter 8, Jesus prays for us. He blesses us. He does not curse. He took the very curse upon himself that we might be blessed. Jesus rejoices with us. Scripture tells us God sings over us. Jesus mourns with us. I love that in John chapter 11 when Jesus is surrounded by his people and they're, they're weeping and he joins with them when Lazarus has died. Jesus is at peace with us. He is not proud, but humble, associating, even pursuing his enemies. And of course, all of this 
is put on display, all of this comes before us in the reality of the cross. That Jesus walked to a crucifixion, abandoned by his friends, uttering no defense. He doesn't defend himself. That just blows my mind. And he, on that cross, wears the consequences of our sin so that we can be clothed in the righteousness of God, right? He bears the consequence of our sin and clothes us in his righteousness. And so I thought we would just do this. Um, I know we kind of talked about this in session one when we were in Romans chapter three, that we were saved by the blood of Christ and we looked at the cross and the crucifixion. But I kind of want to do it again um, this morning because we're headed to Easter and it seemed right. So would you indulge me? Would you um, close your eyes? I'm going to read the crucifixion story from... Mark chapter 15, that event that happened in time and space, in history. So if you would close your eyes, I want you to just, um, I don't want you distracted. I want you to picture this. I want you to see this. I want you to see what Jesus has done for you. So in Mark chapter 15, it says this. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, the whole Sanhedrin, so basically all the religious people, they bound Jesus. They bound his wrists. They led him away and they handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked Jesus, he said, are you the king of the Jews? And of course, he's the king of all people. Jesus simply replied, you have said so. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked Jesus, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. He did not defend himself. Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom people requested. So there was a man called Barabbas who was in prison. He was with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. So Barabbas is a prisoner and he either was a murderer or at least he was part of murdering. He was a part of this group and he was to go to crucifixion. Barabbas was to go to the cross. But the crowd, they came up and they asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want to release a prisoner, and he says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Do you want me to release for you Jesus, Pilate asked, knowing it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests, they stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead, to have Pilate release the known criminal, the murderer, the one who was in prison, the one who was justly going to a cross, to a crucifixion. What shall I do then? What shall I do with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. 
And again, the crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify Jesus, crucify him. Why, Pilate asked, what crime has he committed? They shouted louder, crucify him, crucify him. So, wanting to satisfy the crowd, sit with that for a minute. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Friends, we are Barabbas. Can you picture yourself? Can you imagine yourself? For the wages of sin is death. There is no one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are Barabbas. And yet, Jesus takes our place. Jesus stepped into your place. Because of Jesus, you were set free. And you walked out of that prison cell. And you walked away from the cross while Jesus went to the cross that was set up for you. The soldiers led Jesus away and again and again they struck Jesus on the head with a staff and they spit on him. They mocked him. They led him out to crucify him. They offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh but he didn't take it because he knew that his destiny was to take on the full wrath of God, to not numb himself in any way, to receive what God wanted to pour out on him, that it might not be poured out on you or on me. And they crucified Jesus. Along with him, they crucified two rebels, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. He could have, but he didn't. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Prove yourself, Jesus. Even those criminals who were being crucified with him, they also heaped insults on Jesus. And at noon, darkness came over the whole land. And there was Jesus on a cross, the light of the world covered in darkness, naked. He'd been whipped and beaten to the point almost of death, but not yet dead. Put up on a cross to die a death that others had died. His death was horrific. It was a death of asphyxiation where you just finally can't push yourself up on that spike any longer to get a breath. 
But Jesus' death was a different death. It was a death that was substitutionary. In his death, he was having the wrath of God poured out on him. All the punishment that we deserved put on him. And so as that darkness fell, says this, that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't understand this mystery. He's quoting a psalm, but I think he's expressing what is happening in the spiritual. In this moment, Jesus is forsaken that we might be accepted. Jesus is abandoned that we might be received. Jesus takes on the wrath of God and absorbs it that we might put on the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, or in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Those standing near heard Jesus declare this. And they thought, they said, listen, he's calling on Elijah, but Jesus wasn't calling on Elijah. He was talking to his father. Someone ran and they filled a sponge with wine vinegar and they put it on a staff and they offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone, they said. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him. And then with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus was not killed. Jesus chose a death that he might take our place, take your place. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And in that moment, this miracle took place, that curtain in the temple that was thick, six inches a foot wide, this curtain. It was torn in two from the top of the temple down to the bottom as God's physical demonstration that in Christ's death there is no longer any barrier between us and God. That through Christ we have access to God. Can you picture yourself walking through that space? The curtain has come down. There's no longer anything blocking you. Whatever you think is blocking you from God, it has been removed. It has been taken away. Imagine that thing right now. What is it that's blocking you from God? It's been removed. It's been taken away. God has done the removal from top to bottom. And then there was a guard who was standing there in front of Jesus. He was guarding the spot to make sure nothing went down that was was not uh, that would lead to Jesus being taken away by his followers or any of those things. This guard, he stood there in front of Jesus and he saw how he died. And when he saw how he died, he said this, surely this man 
was the Son of God. Surely this man, the language of Son of God, was surely this man is the fulfillment of the one we've been waiting for. The one that was prophesied of. Surely this one is the Christ. And oh, oh how he loves us. I love that song that we sang. Oh, how he loves us. Just let these words go over you. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. We are his portion. That means we are his desire. And he is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Right? That's so good. And heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. And my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. If you need to, this morning, receive afresh the grace of God, receive it. Swim in it. If maybe never you have, you've never fully understood what Christ has done for you, you've never fully put your faith and your trust in Jesus as the one who lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you couldn't die, and is resurrected to give you life today and for all eternity that is in him. Receive that today. And tell somebody. Tell somebody. All you have to do is just say, I receive you. I trust you, Jesus. I give myself fully surrendered to you as my God, my Savior, my Lord, and my friend. Oh, how you love us. Oh, how you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.